You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Sitting right next to me, the uh, venerable Joe Hopkins, and I'm Dave Griffiths. Glad to have you all along. And Joe, hi there. Face to face. This is great. We could hold hands during the podcast if we want. That's okay. To. We don't need to do that. <laughs> we, we can just look at each other. That's fine. The uh, the the also uh, venerable Mike Chapel uh, enjoying a well deserved week off uh, as the Colts are done with all their on field work for the summer. Some teams still out there participating in some OTAs, some mini camps, but. Um, uh, for those Colts fans out there, the the educated ones will know that the Colts decided to condense things into uh, just a certain short period of time. Uh, they canceled the official uh, mini camp that was coming up later in June. So now the team gets a good month and a half, two months off before resuming training camp in late July. I believe it's the 27th when they are scheduled to arrive at Grand Park in Westfield. And uh, we'll be on the lookout for official announcements from the Colts over the uh, coming weeks for that, but it's all but certain that fans will be there, at least in some capacity. Uh, It's all but certain that the Colts will uh, have a a team there with them, uh, and that'll come down the line, uh, probably leading up to that Carolina Panthers game is what I would assume. But we'll get to all that. That, that. That's all. I, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Oh, yeah. I'm get, getting way ahead of myself. Yeah, what are we going to talk about next week? Exactly. <laughs> right? we'll, exactly. We'll, we'll get to that next week, probably. But but this week, we'll uh, we'll hear from Colts coordinators on the defensive side of the ball. Matt Eberflus on the offense. Marcus Brady. Both of them spoke with the media after the uh, their, we'll call it OTAs or minicamp, whatever the heck you want to call it. Their offseason program was done. Uh, just giving an update on both of their units. Um, also, of course, we have to focus a good deal today on a certain trade that uh, maybe has a shakeup in the AFC South in terms of who might be a favorite, because uh, a very significant, very good player who we've spoken about the past couple weeks on this show has now arrived uh, in the division. But first, we will start with th- some very good news uh, focused on the Colts and, <clears throat> excuse me, from our job in the media as well, as uh, Philip Rivers has won the Pro Football Writers of America Good Guy Award. It's a yearly award given to an NFL player for his qualities and professional style in helping pro football writers do their job. Uh, This is an award which began in 2005, and Rivers is the first Colt to win the award. I believe it's his fourth time being a finalist for the award, including the past couple years in uh, San Diego slash L.A. before going to the Colts and winning it last year in his his final uh, year of quote-unquote eligibility, I guess you could call it, uh, being actually a player in the NFL. So, um, Joe, it's incredibly helpful for me and for Mike and for guys who cover the team on a daily basis to have players who understand the role of the media. And things have changed dramatically in the last 10 years with the access the players have directly now to fans through social media, through Twitter, through Facebook, through Instagram, whatever you have, through TikTok, whatever the heck the kids are doing these days. But the role of the mass media or the uh, the bigger media, us, local media, national media, uh, still plays a certain role with allowing fans even more access and different access to these players than they would just get if the players had it only by themselves through their own outlets which, like I said, is kind of a new new phenomenon over the past 10 years in media. But uh, we, it's incredibly helpful to have helpful players, and, and Rivers certainly was that for, for all of us over the past year. Yeah, I know. I remember Mike talking last year about how he wishes 
he could have gotten to interact with him in person. Um, a lot of it was just via Zoom. And I got to be honest, Dave, when this first came across uh, my docket yesterday, I had no idea what this award yeah. was. I wasn't uh-huh. too familiar with it. But I'm not surprised Rivers won it. I'm not surprised um, he was a finalist many years because, by all accounts, he is a very good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if they have a bad guy award. Uh, I'm sure Marshawn might be on that list. Or <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. Exactly. It, you know, and fan, here's the deal. Like, fans can have a chuckle about that, and that's great. And I do, too, as a member of the media. Like, I, I don't want to get too much inside baseball here because, for the most part, I don't know how many people listening to this podcast care all that much about how players treat the media. I, I, I don't think that's something we can really dive into and r- really maintain an audience. But, like, like I said, I'll have a chuckle at that. But I, I believe... Like, because I'm in the media, I believe the role, our role is important, and I, I believe in what we do, and I believe that the access that we have can help fans better understand the players they cheer for on a daily basis if we do our jobs correctly. And, and I think Marshawn, but, but like using that example, that's, that also makes fans understand who he is, because that, that's, that is who he is. Exactly. He, he's very no-nonsense, and he's there, so he doesn't get fined. And he had just had enough at that time. And that's okay. Like, that, that's part of the business, too. But uh, to, to, and the other side of the, the coin, like having access to a player more than the normal access uh, can, can also lead to great stories. You see them, uh, the stuff that we've done in the past year, stuff that our, um, uh, that our other competitors in the media have done in the past. Like, the more access you get to these behind-the-scenes type of things, uh, the, the more unique ideas or you, the more you can understand players. And I think a great example for us recently is just uh, here at Fox 59. We, we had a great, uh, great stuff that we did over the past month in the month of May here at Indianapolis at the Speedway with Kenny Moore who is this dude who like, has no racing history. He, he didn't exactly suit up in midget cars or follow sprint car racing throughout his life. Like some people, a lot of racing fans here in Indiana have or have been to the Speedway every May for their entire lives, sitting in the same places in turn one, turn two, whatever, the Indy 500. That's not the history that Kenny has. But being here in Indianapolis, he started to fall in love with IndyCar and has gotten more hands-on with it a little bit and gotten good friendships with a couple of the drivers in the paddock, especially a guy like Pato Award. So we talked with Ken, we talked with Pato, got some behind-the-scenes look with both of those guys, what they're doing with one another, how they've developed a friendship with one another. So like, like, like that's the kind of stuff that, that, that I'm talking about and, and things that uh, allow you, the fans, to have a better idea of who the players are, what makes them tick. And I sure, I'm sure the number one thing everyone out wants out there is, is a good player on the field. Obviously, you want you want great True. players. But I think number two, I, like for me, it's it's players who, um, who, who, who make an who make an impact off the field as well, and and players who want to be able to be known for getting uh, getting involved in the community and, and that kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. Something that Philip didn't do as much here in Indy because he was only here for one year, but he certainly, like I, like I said, helped us do our job very well, explained things to us um, as well as he ever... I, I remember looking back to that Browns game, actually, now. like He, he, he was describing one of the interceptions and just uh, kind of gave a, a little... Stuck out his chin a bit and like, mm, it's like well, that's all you're going to get about that, guys. <laughs> that's like literally what he said, something like that. Um, like after giving it a really brief uh, explanation about what happened. So that, that was like the one, one instance I remember that Philip was not, not curt, I would describe, but just, just short with the media. And he would go on and on about explaining things very, very well to us so we could understand what's going on better. And, and 
And when I ask questions, it's because I don't understand as well. Like I, I want to understand the way the players do so I can explain it better to the fans out there so they can better understand the players and the team they cheer for so often. Absolutely. And I mean, I guess the last thing I'll say about this before we can wrap it up is I can completely understand how these incredibly famous players can get kind of worn out with Absolutely. constant media. But at the same time, they're millionaires because of the media. I mean, the the mass majority of the NFL's income comes from TV deals. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't for the media, they wouldn't be, you know, multimillionaires in the first place. And so um, uh, both things have their role, and I just love to see uh, when the players and the media work so well together. Yep, and it was great to have Philip, even though we, we never came face-to-face over the past year. Maybe that'll happen in the future. Who knows? But uh, right now, he, he's quite happy now coaching football. Coaching yeah, we, we had a story just the other week about his first game, his spring game that he was down there, you know, just competing against someone else. So we got to see him on TV again, talking to the local media down there about his, uh, his first game as a head coach of uh, whatever it is, Catholic high school that he's, uh, he's head coach. I, I forget what it's called. Yeah, but I don't remember. Nevertheless, we move on. And to a trade that lands wide receiver Julio Jones in the AFC South with the Tennessee Titans. Joe's shaking his head already. The Titans trade for Julio Jones and a sixth round pick in 2023 for to the Fal- from the Falcons. And the Falcons receive a second round pick next year and a fourth round pick in 2023. So it's a second and a fourth. For Julio and a sixth. It's a little bit of work to get there, but <clears throat> excuse me. at the end of the day, the Titans do so. And from what I've read, again, with uh, some other national reports, uh, the Titans were up against it with a cap, but they still made it work by reorganizing quarterback Ryan Tannehill's deal. Um, and, and I'm not going to bore you with the details on that. You can, you can make the salary cap work with signing, signing bonuses and, um, and other things, so... Uh, is so, so they made it work is what it came down to to get uh, Julio Jones and I believe somewhere between 13 and 15 million dollars of him uh, on their deal 15 million in 2021 um, and so so Joe we talked a lot about uh, over the past weeks differences between teams from one year to the next and as we go went down the Titans like we saw a lot of change with them and especially for a team that just won the division last year but we were looking at pass catchers in particular and we were saying yeah, A.J. Brown's a stud, and he's still there. But, boy, they lost like everyone else. And their passing game was already struggling last year. They were very reliant on Derrick Henry to get things going. This is a significant, significant move for the Titans' passing game, bringing in a guy like Julio Jones, who has been so productive for so long in Atlanta. Yeah, it's funny looking around Twitter, and you would think Julio Jones is like, 36 years old and hasn't had a thousand yard season five years by the way some Colts fans are trying to like deal with this in their minds I mean he he had a lingering hamstring injury last year that limited him to nine games but in the six previous seasons before 2020 he never missed more than two games in a year so I don't think you can call him injury prone he's 32 but when he plays he's still arguably the best wide receiver in football this is a huge impact on the division, a huge impact uh, for the Tennessee Titans. And I think they have the best wide receiver tandem in the league now. I don't think there's anyone that tops Julio and A.J. Brown. Maybe some of the closest ones would be Tampa Bay. You got Godwin and Mike Evans is pretty good. Seattle's got pretty good one with Lockett and Metcalf. Um, Vikings have a couple good receivers, but... 
none of the level of Julio and A.J. Brown, I don't think. And then you pair that with the most dominant running back in the NFL over the past two seasons. You could argue maybe you'd rather have McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook, but no one has dominated at a higher level than Derrick Henry over the past two years. So, and then you consider that they're going to get their left tackle, Taylor Lewan back, who missed the majority of last season with a knee injury. This offense might be a top offense in the NFL now, at very least top 10. You look at what how Vegas reacts. I always look at how Vegas reacts when it comes to things like this, especially over the last couple years when the, that kind of information is even more publicly available as betting sports betting becomes legalized in different states. <clears throat> Excuse me. You look at who they're still looking at for winning the AC, AFC South, and I think the Colts are still technically the favorites in in most places, if not all places. Every place that I looked at, I just I can't look everywhere. You know, you look at FanDuel, you look at DraftKings, you're like, okay, that, that seems to be a trend. But yeah. it's it's closer now, but the Colts are still slight favorites to win the AFC South. I think, Joe, it's going to be very close. I mean, this certainly is is, we believe, a significant impact on one side of the ball for sure. There's still defensive questions for the Titans, but but Julio Jones is is a is an addition that really shores up the one thing we were concerned about on their, their offense. Hole. It certainly was. You'd all you'd love a tight end in there. You lost both your a couple of your tight ends last year. If you're the um you're the Titans, you want someone who's more more in that role to to be successful. But still, if you have Julio and you have AJ Brown on the outside, that's that that like you said, it's better than if if not all other teams in the league, at least twenty nine or thirty of the other teams in the league. So they they short up a big hole, which is what you expect, what you hope for at this time of the year. When when you've made a lot of moves and you're just looking for the last thing to kind of get you across, quote unquote, get you across the finish line and then kind of put yourself out there as a favorite, if not the favorite in the division. Yeah, and they, they got firepower. And I mean, if you want to point towards their defense, maybe not being so great last year and then taking a step back, uh, A, that's debatable. And B, they just made the move to offset that by giving their offense more firepower. They yep. can win a few more shootouts. I still don't think they want Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball no, 40 times a game. No. But if they find themselves down two scores in the fourth quarter, they now have the weaponry to come back like that. Um, it's it, it's going to be tough to c- compete with, and we can kind of go through here comparing the Colts and the Titans because I do agree with you. I think it's going to be very close. I thought the Colts were the best team in the division, and now this – uh, honestly, I think this kind of makes the Titans the front runners in my mind. I think the Titans have more offensive firepower th- than the Colts, at least proven offensive firepower. And uh, the Colts are also relying on a lot of unknowns on defense as well mm-hmm. with, um, you know, defensive end, arguably one of the most important positions. If you want to argue, you got Buckner up there that's going to help a lot. But their pass rushers off the edge are very much question marks. So, uh, I thought it'd be interesting if we kind of just go through here and compare the two teams and kind of see where we land at the end as far as uh, uh, which team should be the favorite in the division. A- absolutely. If you start with with the passing game, it absolutely has to be the ti- the Titans. And yeah. and even though I'm bullish about Carson Wentz and I'm bullish about T.Y. Hilton and I'm bullish about Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell, there, there's a difference between being bullish and having more of a proven track record. And... It remains to be seen how Julio will sync up with Ryan Tannehill, yes, but he he was incredibly successful with Matt Ryan uh, for years and years, so it, it's very reasonable to assume that he will be again. 
A.J. Brown and Tannehill have already established something over the past couple years. So you have that going for you. The Colts maybe have a higher ceiling if everything comes together. It might be a little bit deeper, but I think the Titans' floor is certainly higher than the Colts' when it comes to what they can do throwing the ball this year. At least if we're talking about quarterbacks, I would agree with you. I think Carson Wentz um, has a higher ceiling than Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill having the much higher floor, of course. I think if we're talking about ceilings, if Julio Jones and A.J. Brown hit their peak, I don't see anyone on the Colts that can kind of compete with that. Uh I mean, either your wide receiver, your your second best cornerback either has to guard Julio Jones or A.J. Brown. Good luck. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I would agree that the Colts have far more depth mm-hmm. because after Julio and A.J. Brown, their next receiver is Josh Reynolds, who they uh, signed, previously spent several years with the Rams. And then after that, uh, good luck recognizing any of those names. I did. Chester yeah. Rogers. Yeah. Hey, Chester. There's, there's a name Colts fans should recognize. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Johnson, too, is uh, <laughs> appears to be on And all, all the Colts from three years ago. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, deep on their roster. So and that, that tells you something. That tells you that they're trying to fill back there. Like Because there's the Colts cast-offs. They're guys who are good pros. Yeah. But they're not guys that you get excited about on Sunday. No. Not no, at all. No, they're not. So if, you know, A.J. Brown suffers another injury like he did last year, or Julio Jones, you know, he is 32 years old. Right. Soft tissue injuries, maybe that continues to be a thing. They don't have a lot of depth behind them. Uh, but then their game plan is just to hand it off to Henry 30 times anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate I hate saying, oh, in case of injury in situations like this when you're comparing roster, because that could happen to the Colts, too, again. Yeah, like you lose, you lose T.Y. Hilton, and then all of a sudden Pittman has to be one, Paris jumps to two, and Zach Pascal's your three. Like, I love Zach Pascal as my four receiver, but if you're giving him a lot more responsibility, if you're saying Paris Campbell has to be your number two, then that, that scares me right now, just based on what's happened the past couple years. I, like I said, I like Paris, but that just scares me. So, so I'm keeping injuries out of this right now keeping them out running back the Colts have depth at running back they have perhaps the deepest running back room in the NFL but like you said Derrick Henry's been the most dominant it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who's behind him because Derrick Henry can carry the ball 35 times a game so even if the Colts have like I said the the most depth at running back even in the NFL you can make that argument I I can't I can't pick against Derrick Henry because of what he's done and how consistent he has been and how much of a workhorse he has been. You say, oh, the wheel's going to fall off soon. Well, I haven't seen any evidence that it's coming this year, maybe in a couple years, but not right now. It, maybe the wheels would fall off for a running back who wasn't like 240 pounds. Right. Yeah, I think he can withstand that beating a little better. And, and maybe Jonathan Taylor in year two reaches Derrick Henry level. I mean, he. he I think it's pretty close. I think it's pretty close running back comparatively, but I'll give the edge to Tennessee. Yeah. Quarterback, I have to give the edge to Tennessee just because of how big mm-hmm. of a question mark Carson Wentz is. Mm-hmm. But he could certainly surpass Tannehill very quickly if he comes in and everything sinks up right. Uh, receiving weapons, definitely Tennessee, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And then that brings us to the offensive line. Until Eric Fisher comes back, I think they're pretty. the two offensive lines are pretty neck and neck. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor I- Luan coming back, he's one of the better left tackles in the NFL when healthy. And then their starters uh, in the interior are pretty darn good. Roger Saffold, Saffold's Ayula, a good player, yeah. Uh, uh, ben Jones, and then Nate Davis. Their only question mark is that right tackle. Um, they they address that in the second round pick. We'll see Raidens, how quickly right. he's ready to play. <clears throat> um, but I would say until Eric Fisher comes back and is back to his form, past form, 
the Titans' uh, offensive line is just as good, if not better, than the Colts. We'll see how long Sam Tevy can hold up at left. Yeah, back. I would still lean toward the Colts if you'd look at just the sum of all the parts. Because, I mean, you have Ryan Kelly at center, who's a pro bowler. You have Braden Smith, who all the Colts were trying to get him into the pro bowl last there? year. They're, yeah, exactly. You have Quinton, who's the best left tackle, left guard, rather, in the game. Um, maybe the best interior offensive lineman in the game. But but you make a great point with Fisher. And, I, and I've said it before on this podcast. If you don't have a left tackle, you don't have an offensive line. And the Titans do have a left tackle, Luan. Like, he's a really good left tackle. So, so, so you can make the point either way. I would lean toward the Colts in this scenario, even if you lean toward more of a split there. Um, so, you know, like, so I think, yeah. It. I mean, I'll go with the Colts. It's yeah. just a huge question mark of how big of a deficiency is Tevi right. at left tackle. And we will find that we out, I think, in out. short order. And hopefully, uh, well, well, hopefully you know you don't you don't immediately find it out on the first play or two yeah, of the game. Hopefully after Seattle. the first, yeah, exactly. For, hopefully the first two weeks, then you can finally make a decision like, oh, okay, uh, Carson's actually been clean from from the backside. But if you find out on the first drive whether that move is working or not, then then bad. It's very bad. Yeah. So anyway, let's uh, go to the defensive side of the ball on the defensive line. Um, the Titans have a 3-4 defensive front. They have Danico Autry, who uh, Colts fans will know, uh, Woodrow Hamilton and Jeffrey Simmons there on their three down linemen. But also, if you're talking about the defensive front, Joe, and especially just the rush of the quarterback, you, you have to include their outside linebackers, which are Harold Landry and Bud Dupree. Bud had a great year last year in Pittsburgh when he was healthy, uh, had a good number of sacks, and I was coming over, got a good free agent deal with the Titans to kind of not shore up their pass rush. I, I don't think that's the right word, but maybe to boost or bolster their pass rush would be a better one. Um, so they they certainly are better on the outside, and they're okay on the inside. For the Colts... It's kind of the opposite. On the inside, they're set. You got DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart. Um, DeForest, who was an all-pro last year. Grover Stewart, who got a contract extension for his tremendous play last year. So they have one of the best interior defensive units in the league. And on the outside, it's a total question mark. With your rookie and Quiddy Pay on one side and Tyquan Lewis on the other, that's probably going to be your starting unit. And then behind them, you go Kamoko Ture and Isaac Rochelle um, and, uh, and Dio Odengbo whenever he gets healthy. Um, you, again, this is a kind of a little bit of a theme like we had for, for the Colts receiving group. A great, great depth there, but maybe not as great in the starting unit. Um, it, it, this this one to me is more of a wash just because yeah. like because the Titans uh, have the uh, have the stronger points on the outside. The Colts have the stronger um, guys on the inside. And so, even their guys on the outside aren't like game records. No, I don't think so. I think Carol Landry and Bolt, Bud Dupree are both like B minus level players. I think Bud's a little better than that personally, but okay, M- maybe. But I think I mean he was what the third guy you worried about was Steelers behind Watt and then Hayward on the defensive line. Um, oh. But but yeah yeah B B plus okay maybe. Like, B like, level player yeah, let, 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 <laughs> let's say oh you're if he's the third guy behind T J Watt and, and Cameron uh, and and Hayward that's pretty good like those are two really good players who are in front of them I'm but saying offensive I, I lines I hear you gearing yes. up for Bud Dupree yes um, so now they will more more so is what you're saying exactly than, than were, and I still think the best per- player on that line for Tennessee is Jeffrey Simmons mm-hmm. uh, who turned out to be a good gamble for them yep. in the first round mm-hmm. but um, yeah I'll call that a wash because I do think. Quinn Pay is going to have a good year for the Colts. And then their interior is uh, uh, just top-notch for Indianapolis. So I'll call that for wash for I, now. I think we can agree that linebacker will lean toward the, the Colts here with Darius Leonard, all-pro, all-pro, yes. all-pro. Bobby uh, Okariki. Um, I, I, you, you feel a little worried that Anthony Walker's gone because he was such a steady force. I think he was underrated. He got a tremendous amount of tackles, and Darius Leonard loved him like a brother. Um, and he, Darius doesn't. Darius is not the guy that will pump somebody up 
who doesn't deserve to be pumped up. I don't think that's in his nature. And he always talked about how important Anthony Walker was. So I, I think that'll be a loss, but I, it's clear that the Colts let him go because they believe Okariki can be better, and they believe Okariki will be better, and he certainly has the physical tool, more physical tools than Walker did. So, so I, I'm definitely giving the Colts the edge when it comes to linebacker, and I don't think you can make the argument otherwise. No, the Titans have solid linebackers. I mean, Rashawn Evans and uh, Jayon Brown, they're, they're solid players. Again, kind of B-level players, mm-hmm. um, but they're not game-changers or difference-makers like Leonard. Uh, has shown he is, and like Okariki has shown flashes uh, that he can be. So we'll go uh, Colts by a mile on this one. Yeah, let's go to the uh, go to the secondary, and I think this one's maybe certainly closer than than the linebackers. But I'm I'm also going to give the edge to the Colts here. Um, at cornerback, you have Xavier Rhodes, who had a very good season last year. Excuse me. You have Kenny Moore, who if they had a nickel back corner, uh, if they had a Pro Bowl position for nickel, Kenny would would get it every year. Um, you have Julian Blackman at one safety. You have Kari Willis at the other safety. Uh, those are two guys who who are on the verge of breaking out. If you're looking at breakout Colts players potential, I, I think those two are, are near the top of your list. Well, we were um, talking about Blackman as like defensive rookie of the year for yeah. a few weeks there. Yeah. He had those splash plays, mm-hmm. and he kind of, I don't want to say fell off, but the, he still played good football, but those splash plays kind of slowed down. I think that's what you look at for, for your rookie. Well, it, not that it's you might expect that from a rookie to come out and maybe even start a little bit gangbusters that's, and then to trail off. Yeah. like that, that doesn't concern me so much is what I'm trying to say. It's not a huge red flag. If he had never showed up for the entire year, that would be more of a red flag. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, uh, I'm more so saying like that's the kind of mm-hmm. talent he has. Yeah, like, yeah. If he can put it together and keep like, with that consistently. Yeah, conversely, you can see rookies come on later in the year like we saw with Jonathan Taylor, and that's great. That's that's incredible when you see rookies like even start slow and then move much faster down the, down the line. I'm just saying that it's it's not the worst thing in the world for the opposite to be true for rookies to have a great start and then to kind of trail off when maybe things catch up with you and then you learn a few more and then you just you haven't quite caught up with uh, with the level, well, of, especially um, at safety. You know, yeah. he makes a few plays and quarterbacks go, all right, I got to yeah. watch out for that guy. Now. Exactly. So so I'm saying like I I think this is a big year for for Blackman is I guess what I'm trying to say, just uh, not to be too concerned with him not showing up as much down the stretch. Sure. But we'll we'll, we'll know more after the first six games of this season again <laughs> is, is is what it comes down to. When you look at the uh, the Titans in the back. Uh, they have cornerbacks like Janoris Jenkins, uh, who came over from New Orleans, I believe. It feels like he's played forever. I know, it sure does. They have Caleb Farley, who they drafted in the first round uh, of, of this year's draft. They have Elijah Molden, who they took in this draft. So they're very young at corner. Um, y- you hope that one of those guys, or both of those guys, Farley or Molden, pan out. Yeah. But it, it's like... I, Christian I, Fulton, who was a second-round pick from 2020. Yeah, so uh, so like there's a lot of young talent there. You have Kevin Byard, who's been a free safety, I think, there forever. Yeah, he's been a former All-Pro. Yep. Yeah, so so he's very good, too. So I think it's very close right here with, with these guys. You have, I think you look at Byard and Rhodes are both veteran guys who, like you can say, they're kind of a wash to one another. Um, you look at Blackman and Kari Willis uh, along the sense they have a little bit more experience than Farley Molden uh, and, uh, and that group. So... So I don't know. I get I get the slight edge to the Colts. Maybe Kenny Moore puts them over the top. Just just to me, uh, a little bit more of a, a playmaker in the secondary there. So uh, it, it is close, but but I would I would lean toward the Colts when it comes to the secondary. I'd agree with that. Um, I would lean towards the Colts as far as more of a sure thing in the secondary. But man, if the if the Titans hit on one of their 
cornerbacks that they've been drafting the last couple of years. Yep. That could that could change quickly, especially Caleb Farley. He has so much talent. Uh, he's just got to stay healthy. So I'll give the Colts the slight edge at cornerback. Um, and then we can do special teams here. I, I, I'm going to go with the Colts just almost based on special teams who won them one of the games against yep. Titans last year. Yep, totally true. And, and, and if you want to include George Odom in the secondary for the Colts, too, as an all-pro special teams player, you, you can do that. That's fair. I mean, you have an all-pro in Odom. You have uh, you have Hot Rod kicking, your boy. We have Rigo punting, who uh, he's he's a great, great punter. We'll just leave Continuously it Continuously underrated. Exactly. And, and Luke Rhodes, I, I don't think Luke has had a problem. Maybe he's had one problem in his two or three years as the Colts long snapper. But when, when you can't think of one immediately, like I can't right now, Joe, that, that's that's everything you could ask for. And, and I, it's hard to say what... what Morgan Cox, the uh, the long snapper for the Titans, does because I don't watch every <laughs> game the Titans do. But but like you said, special teams did win one of those games for him last year with block punts, touchdowns, and forcing into bad punts. It, 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 it was obvious that the Colts unit was better than the Titans. And here. even returners. I mean, Naheem Hines, uh, yeah. you can toss him out there on punt returns. And I, I think... Uh, uh, um Isaiah Rodgers was this close last year. He did break one, right? And then he broke one against uh, Cleveland. He had the touchdown against Cleveland. He did. Cleveland, he had another one that was called back. He had another yeah. one that maybe was, it was called a, maybe back. Maybe it was a pick six that was called back. I can't remember exactly. It but might yeah. have been. He, I think. He, it, yeah. He 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 showed flashes that he can. If he gets in space, he's a dangerous dude. He's got speed for days. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll definitely give special teams to the Colts, and yeah. I, I think just going through this, it shows how close these yeah. two teams are. I agree. Um, one has a slight advantage here. One has a slight advantage there. It's, and if I had to guess, I would say they're going to split the series this season. That, that, that'd be the easy thing to say, but there's a reason it's the easy thing to say, <laughs> because that's what it looks like on paper. Yeah. Like, you can't just go and say, oh, the Colts are going to win both against the Titans. Come on. It's ob- you, you can't do that. they're a darn good football team. Yeah, I do, too. I completely agree. And when you look, especially at where the Colts are right now, they haven't won the division since 2004. Uh, 2014. 2004. That'd be really bad. So, like, right now, it's the Titans division. So it's they're the reigning champ. I, I know, and there are still people, there are still fans here in Indianapolis that think the AFC South is the Colts division, which I think is stupid because it's just not true. They haven't won in in ages, and bad teams have won divisions in, in, since the Colts have won a division back seven years ago. So, like, it, it, it's not your division right now. It, it, was, it just isn't. It was for a good for Colts, a great amount of time. Yeah, it was, it was your lost, division. We got to regain it back. Yep. is what needs to happen yep. because there hasn't. I mean, I guess Houston has won several times yep. with Deshaun Watson and uh, Watt, but mm-hmm. it's not like the Titans have been winning the division no, that often. No, it's really been Houston, and, and now Houston's just so much of an afterthought right yeah. now. And, and like Mike has said on, on this podcast before, like it was, the, excuse me, the Texans did it with, with just stars. They did it with, with Watson and Hopkins and Watt and Clowney. And then after that, you're like, Who, who's this guy? Wait, who's that guy on the team? And like, I think we knew more because we were covering the team so a little bit more. But like nationally, people wouldn't know exactly who who was on the Tennessee Titans beyond those four stars. It's not like it had the the, the Texans had this really deep team that could uh, that was uh, one of the best rosters in the league. So and now their stars are gone. Exactly. So so yeah, and and we'll see exactly who's on their roster when it comes uh, to to this year, and if Watson's still on that team, and if he even plays a snap. That that's something that I again don't want to get into until <laughs> until we know know a lot more. So anyway, I know whatever Watson's taking snaps, you, you can't you can't discount them. Doesn't matter. I mean, he, he almost won two games against the Colts this year, and it was by miracles that 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 they won both of them. Okay. And by fumble recoveries in uh, in the red zone, and it was yeah. So anyway, 
that's uh, that that's that's our take on Julio I, I, and the Titans in general. That like ju- just having him him there really does more to tip the scales to balance. And they're they're going to be great games, man. I think if they have if they're both healthy teams, um, special teams could really come down come down to that like it did last year. Um, coaching. Uh, just important decisions made in the fourth quarter at the right possible time. And mistakes. Yep. Who throws that interception? Yep. Who has that fumble? Mm-hmm. So like, these teams are very even on paper. It comes down to like, and that's why the Colts, the, the defense, they love playmakers. And that's why Matt Eberflus loves him, some Darius Leonard, some Kenny Moore, guys who get sacks, guys who get interceptions. Stops are great. Tackles are awesome. But those game-changing plays are what he's after. So uh, Matt Eberflus spoke to the media just uh, after the Colts wrapped up their OTA work for the season. Here's what he had to say. How you doing, Flus? Good, Mike. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, over the years, you've talked about kind of your approach to your defense to being aggressive, playing through the whistle and everything. As a coordinator, why do you think players enjoy playing in this style of defense in your eyes? Yeah, I would say that when players come into the system and they understand the standards of which we set of how to play, I think they appreciate that because, you know, we, you know, Chris Ballard and the scouting staff, we as a group really look for that on college tape and when we acquire free agents that do they play hard. And those guys appreciate, you know, when guys play hard and do it the right way. So if we are holding everybody to the same standard, then it's a collective group effort that we're all doing that together. And I think the players appreciate that, that the coaches, the head coach, uh, the GM, the ownership all want to see that on tape and we're all held, hold, you know, held to that standard together. And it kind of relieves them just to play, go out and play and play free. And if you ask Darius or Buckner or, or Kari or all the guys that play super hard for us, uh, that's what they'll tell you. They'll tell you it allows us just to play the game of football. And then the, the follow up on that, um, what have you seen out of, out of Quiddy so far? I mean, you know, people, you know how this game works. People look and say, oh, he had a, when he had 11 and a half sacks in his career at Michigan. But it seems like his style of play is one that, you know, fits in with those guys you mentioned, you know, the Dariuses and the Bobbies and, and the uh, and the Buckners, uh, just nonstop motor approach to the game. Right. So, so when the, you look at the, you know, we look mountains of tape, you know, we watch these guys, we really watch their whole season. Uh, we, you know, we dig into their background and, and Quiddy is everything we're looking for in terms of a character of men of what he brings to the table. And you can see that on his tape. Uh, he's just been outstanding so far with us uh, working with the D line coaches and, and everybody else. And, and uh, you know, some of the things that he's, you know, that you look for say, okay, well, what makes him so great? You know, what, what's some of the examples of that? Well, I would say that his attention to detail, you can tell when you ask him questions about a particular defense, he can dive into the detail that he's, he can absorb that in a quick manner and be able to give it back out to us on the practice field. And uh, that, that's been really uh, a pleasant surprise, not really a surprise, but really just a, a good thing to notice for him because he can pick up a big, big amount of scheme in, in a short amount of time and that's going to accelerate his play and accelerate him uh, even faster. So we're excited about that. Yeah. Luce, how are you doing? Good. With uh, you say you, you you all the tape you watched on on Quiddy is like everybody. I'm sure you watched a ton of tape on Darius coming out before you guys got him. Yep. What was your, what was your impression when you when you first got your hands on him? And where is he taking his game? 
Yeah, so Darius, when he first came in, if you guys remember, I'm sure you guys do that, he he came in and he had a groin strain that first OTA. So he came into my individual, which is you know kind of legendary, I guess, but he came in there and we kind of pushed him through the, 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 the paces there and he had a groin strain, which is fine. Then he ended up sitting out. So he really didn't get a chance to touch him until training camp. And, you know, Dave Borgonzi and myself worked with him during that time uh, to cone drills, uh, alignment assignment, key technique to get him up to speed. And uh, he did a wonderful job with that, you know, picking up the scheme. And then when he came into training camp, you guys remember one of his first plays, he picked off Andrew Luck, um, you know, in that first training camp. So you could tell uh, that he was special from the beginning. Um, and the one thing that resonates with Darius, and you guys have all said this, and, and it, it's so true that the energy which he brings to the table day in and day out is unmatched. It's unparalleled. You, I mean, I've seen guys and I've had good linebackers over the years, and this guy is, is special that way. He is a special human being with, in terms of his energy, his focus, and being able to do it every day. Some guys can do it once in a while. This guy does it every single day, and that's what makes him special. Um, then he's a great athlete and a great teammate, you know, to boot. So um, he's really taking his game to the next level. And really, when you think about it with the loss of Anthony Walker, this is an opportunity for Darius to, to really step up his game in terms of leadership, you know, and, and we expect Darius to be that guy and he's been that guy and he's just going to ramp it up even more and uh, he's just going to shine in that role. So we're excited about that. Quick follow-up. You talked about he was special from the beginning with these rookies, whether it's Darius or Bahari or Blackman or now Quiddy, do you need to see something early on in practice or camp to say they're ready? Is there something that you see as opposed to this guy needs more time? Yeah, there's usually some some moment. You know, it's not necessarily a moment, but there's moments during the course of a early on where you look at this and say, man, this guy is special. Like, for example, I remember with Julian last year, and, you know, he had the knee issue and he was going through all that. And all of a sudden we put him in drills and I'm standing there next to Alan Williams and we, we have him side by side with the corners and we're doing the break drills and, you know, the, the movement drills that DBs do. And we were looking at each other like going, oh, my gosh, this guy is as good as a corner. He's moving as quick and as fast as a corner. And we knew right then he had that special quickness because, you know, you could see that on tape where he had the ball skills and he was a ball hawk type of guy. So and he proved that and he's going to prove that again. So, um we just knew it was his quickness right away. And with relative to your question there, Mike, with uh, with Kari, we, you know, with Kari, what we noticed right away was his instincts, his ability to process and his ability to, to really move fast to the football. And he's, after watching last year's tape, he's one of our best guys in terms of being able to be in a low zone and be able to break on a ball when it's in the flat or in the, in the curl zone there. So he's he's special that way. And we noticed that pretty quick about him too. Thanks, Coach. Hey, Jay. Hey, Matt, I'm curious as now you've had, you know, a couple of weeks here with DeForest. And what have you seen with his leadership of that group that, you know, obviously you weren't really able to see last year around this time? Yeah, I mean, he's getting to show just the man that he is. You know, he is a special person and that's why he's here. You know, uh, when you look at his career, he's done it throughout his career. And I think right now, because and just to, to your point, JJ, that you know, he didn't get a chance to really be around his teammates last year because of the whole COVID situation. And this year it's just been, you know, he's taken uh, Ben under his wing. He's, he's had different guys over and working with different guys, Stolly and all those different guys that have been with him. And he's able to be around them. So 
when you're a worker like that, and plus you're a guy that plays the way we like the guys to play, and he's an all-pro player, he's going to have an effect on those guys. And uh, he's, he's certainly one of our leaders, you know, along with Darius. And, uh, you know, he's just uh, done a nice job so far with that. As kind of a follow-up to that, you know, Chris Ballard's talked a lot about the 17th game and, and the need to have really good depth on the defensive line. When you've got a guy like DeForest who has those leadership qualities and obviously the on-the-field skills, how does that kind of trickle down through the rest of a line and build that depth? Yeah, I think it's so important that you have, you know, you got to have guys that are pillars of your defense, right? You know, and, and, and Buckner is one of those guys. And I think that when you have that, it, it breeds confidence. I, I personally think that with bringing Buckner and helped out Grover Stewart, you know, for an example, you know, an example of that, because when you bring in Buckner and Grover was already moving his game up anyway, but I think that accelerated him having Buckner next to him because he saw, my gosh, this guy is a really good player. And he understands how to play the run, play the pass. He knows how to use his hands. And I think those guys just really gelled off each other. And that's, to me, is a big part of why Grover had the season he had last year, um, just because of the acquisition of Buckner. So it, it goes all the way through the group there. And, and that's, that's the kind of effect he has. Charlie Clifford. Hey, Flus, thanks for the time. Hey, Charlie. I saw you yesterday at the golf course. I know. I, yeah, what's going on? What were you doing there? I don't want to blow your cover. What's the <laughs> handicap at? Because you were putting in some hours. It's a it's an official ten point nine right now, but I'm bringing it down single digits in the next couple of weeks. We round down in this in this part, so it's a ten. It's a ten. Uh, no, <laughs> okay. good to see you. The excitement around these names. When you walked in, there wasn't a ton of buzz around this defense. Where are you, Coach? Heading into this year, big picture with the pieces you have. Yeah, so we sat down. I sat down with uh, Chris Ballard yesterday, and we always do it this time of year, and we talk about what's going to go on during training camp. And we just went through you know, every position, D-line, linebackers, safeties, corners, nickels. And what we saw was competition. And we saw it throughout the whole thing. So we've never had this depth before. They've, they've done a great job of building depth here. And the competition is all the way through the depth chart, which is outstanding. And we're just look, looking for it to play out. It's just got to play out the way it should play out. And the guys will produce on the field. Those will be the guys that play. And it's an exciting thing because if you look at, for example, the nose tackle, well, we got Grover Stewart, but we got guys behind those. Who's going to be the backup to Grover Stewart, you know, and, and potentially, you know, push Grover Stewart. Who's going to, who's going to be that guy. So that's an example. You know, you got Stolly, you got Woods, you got, you got Chris Williams, you got all these guys right there that are going to push that spot. You know, who's going to be, you know, we know Kenny's our nickel, but who's going to be that next guy that, that's going to, you know, be behind him. Who's going to be that guy, you know, is, you know, there's two or three guys at every spot like that, the corners position. That's another thing, you know, Hey, uh, competition wise, you know, we, you know, we know we got Kenny, we got Zave, but who's going to be the third guy. There's, there's, there's competition there. And to me, competition breeds, you know, brings out the best in people and bring it breeds excellence. So, and the guys know that there's, you know, there's no free lunch here. There's everything's based on what the field, uh, what you do on the field. And we are excited about where that is because that's only going to elevate the play of the, the, the entire unit is that competition. So we're certainly excited about looking at that during training camp. George Bremer. Coach, kind of building off that with the defensive end spot in particular, uh, adding the two rookies and then having some other young guys with something to prove. How much are you looking forward to the competition and training camp there? Yeah, George, that's that's obviously bringing those two guys in. That was kind of a, you know, we're going to 
we had brought a couple guys in, the, you know, a few years ago, you know, Banigou, Ture, Ture's coming off the injury. Then we bring two more guys in this year. So again, that's just competition. And the reason we load up on that position is that we, you know, obviously that's a huge impact position uh, for us, for our football team. And uh, it, it's going to let, we're going to, it's going to let it play out, you know, and we're going to see where it is and, and uh, guys will just produce on the field and we'll let it go from there. Ken Sterling. Hey, Coach, where are you compared to other years in terms of implementation on the on the defensive side, knowing that you don't have mini camp coming up, the change in schedule? How's that affected your implementation? Yeah, so so this year uh, and every year, what we do is we look and see what we did well last year, what we're going to carry on, carry over to the next year, and then what new things we want to, you know, marinate on and and look at and be able to implement into training camp and see if those things are something that our players are good at, okay? And, and they really fit our scheme. And we've adjusted our scheme since we've been here and we're gonna continue to do that. And I think it's it's on course, Kent, I really do. I think it's, it's right on course where we want it to be. Uh, we got a chance to implement some of those new ideas uh, during these walkthrough OTAs, this kind of new thing that we did this off season. And the guys picked it up really well, and then we're looking forward to getting full speed uh, reps at it and see where it goes from there. But in terms of your question, I say we're right on right on course where we're, we were, where we need to be. Bill Erickson. Hey, Flus. Uh, you mentioned that that third cornerback spot. Um, do you see that as an open competition beyond Zave and Kenny? I, I do. I see. I see a lot of spots as open competition. You know, so I, I really do. I see it as you know. Everybody's got to prove where they need to be. Uh, and again, when you go through a season, 17 games, you think about that, you know, I mean, you guys have seen it. You guys have covered this team and NFL for a long time. You know that a lot of guys, you got to have, and you guys have heard me say this since day one, you got to have two guys at a position and a guy behind them. So there's going to be guys that play. Every one of those guys that are up on the roster, they're going to be playing at some point. I mean, they got to show up and they got to play. So we have to get them ready to play. And that's us job as coaches and players together to be able to do that because you know with one injury there's there's guys in there that are going to play and rotate in there so yeah I would say that yes it is a competition but we need everybody to get ready to play do a couple more Jim Aiello okay hey Flus hey uh, we'll stick with corners because we're talking about that now but um I feel like this is a question we've asked you a lot of times but what are you expecting out of a rock and, and what does he need to do to kind of win that that job and then the other one I'm curious about is Marvell Tell since we didn't we didn't get a chance to see him last year, obviously. So what does he look like so far? And what are you expecting out of him in, in year yeah. two or three? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so Rocky has since done, done a really good job of being here. You know, he got injured last year, uh, you know, at the end part of the season uh, and, and he stayed around and got himself, you know, healthy and we like where he is. We like where he is. And, and again, he knows it's open competition and he knows where he's, what he's got to do and how he's got to do it. And, you know, uh, with Marvell tell, we didn't get a chance to see him you know, the whole year, but obviously we were in contact with him and we stayed in touch with him and, and we're pleasantly surprised where he is. You know, he's changed his body. He's been doing different things, you know, to, to work his body in a different way. And he looks really good. And uh, we had him in drills and moving around. So we're excited where he can be as well. So he understands where he's at uh, and we're excited about where those guys are. And now we just got to see, Hey, they got to have a great off season coming into training camp and be ready to go when we get there. Last question here, Zach Kiefer. So we know you have pretty high standards with practice and to get on the field, you know, it's going to take earning that in practice. We saw Ta Taekwon take that step last year and really jump up and play a lot more. 
What does Ben Banigo have to do that's similar or that's different this year to see a lot more snaps? Yeah, so to, to, to your point, Zach, you know, you saw Taekwon last year. Um, he just really took the step. We've always talked about that third year to being able to do that. And I think that that's where Ben is. You know, Ben's going to have to do that this year. You know, he's got to do it with his play, just like Taekwon did. You know, and I, I you know, I, I saw what Taekwon said, and I thought it was good advice. You know, just stay the course, be yourself, and, and you know, just work your tail off. And that's what Ben has to do. And, again, it's got to be done on the practice field. It's got to be done in drills because we, we study everything and we look at every single thing that every player does from the drills to the to the one on ones to the team activities to the to the 11 on 11s. We do all those things and and it'll all be evaluated and, and looked at from there. A little it's a it's a lot more crowded position room, though, now with those draft picks coming in. Yeah, I think it's great. It's it's really good. I mean, it's just it's for, for me, it's really nice because you have different pieces that you can put in different spots. You know, because, you know, you can put Quiddy inside, outside. You could put Taekwon inside, outside. You could put uh, Dial could be all across the line. Uh, there's there's a nice mix and match of rotation that you're going to have on first and second down as well as third down. So we were really excited about the body types and the, and the men that we have in that room. That was Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus. Let's hear from offensive coordinator Marcus Brady in his first year in that position with the Colts after accomplishing what they did over the past couple weeks when they were at headquarters for OTAs. Hey, Marcus, how are you? Good, Zach. How are you doing? Good. Um, new quarterback again. I'm just curious. Um, we can talk all day about how Carson Wentz has done, you know, Actually, from someone who's been with him every day, what's he been like behind the scenes and on the field? Has his um, performance met what you kind of thought it would be? Yes, I mean, he's been great, um, both in, you know, in the meeting room and on the field. Uh, meeting room, bringing a lot of ideas of, you know, you know, this is the time of the year where we're trying to, okay, this is our offense, this is what, you know, this is what we run. Um, and then he bringing some ideas, okay, what fits him, what, you know, to his skill set, um, you know, I, what you know, Frank, and you know, in this offense, the way we built it is you know to be able to adapt to quarterbacks. Obviously, we had to do it the last three years um, with different quarterbacks, and so we're doing that this offseason, seeing what meshes, what what he's going to be comfortable with, how he reads different you know schemes that we have. Because um, I mean, a lot of the schemes are very similar to what he's done in the past, but just trying to get on the same page so we kind of talk the same language, and I think that's gone very well. Um, I think we're in a great place right there. And then on the field, I thought he had a um, great two weeks here. Um, Getting the rhythm with the with the receivers, being able to you know take some hand you know give some handoffs to the running backs, you know working that footwork out. You know I thought we got a lot accomplished over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Marcus, just so it's not all quarterbacks today. How have you seen Naheem Hines, I guess, grow as a running back in your time here? Um, definitely, um, from year one to I mean from last year. I mean he I mean he's definitely a weapon. Uh, he's a guy that you can trust in the backfield. Um, to even just, you know, just hand the ball off. You know, they always talk about, you know, getting him out the backfield, getting him in space. But, I mean, he does a great job in between the tackles where he's able to get through there um, and then use his speed to create um, explosive plays for us. And I, I thought he's just grown. His vision has grown. His patience has grown um, running through the holes. Um, and, and that just comes with experience. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, being able to utilize what he brings to our offense this year. We talked to him last week, and he took great exception to the tag that he's been a gadget player. He thinks that was a, a big knock. Do you understand his uh, dislike that term? 
Um, I understand where he's coming from, definitely. Um, and he shouldn't take it as a knock because he's not just a gadget player, but he does have that ability. Um, that brings problems to defenses, to some of the things that he does. And I mean, it does make it, make it hard on defenses, but he is much more than that. Um, like I said, he did a great job just, you know, being under center and taking the ball on the handoff and running our inside zone, outside zone, or, you know, those those inside schemes. He's He's grown in that area as well. Thanks, George. George Bremer. Coach, that running back group as a whole, having guys up there at the top like Naheem and Taylor and Mac who are so unselfish, how much is that going to help you as you try to spread the carries throughout the season? Well, it's definitely going to help. Um, it's definitely a great room. Obviously, you know, overall, we have a great culture. But that room, um, those guys have been together for a long time now. Um, obviously, Jonathan um, going into his second year. But, I mean, they've meshed very well. Um, they communicate well. They hang out together. Um, they're all pulling for each other to have success. And so just that support for, for, for one another uh, is great just having that in the room and, and they're all going to be great. Joel Erickson. Hey, Marcus. Um, Carson was saying last week that in terms of like how you tailor the offense to him, it's not just about like, it's not necessarily changing the playbook. It's also um, kind of the nuances of how, how you call the game. What, what did he mean by that? Um, well, I mean, for the most part, it's not like we're installing a new offense just for him. You know, it's schemes that we've ran with, you know, with different quarterbacks that's been in this system, whether we ran it with Andrew Pryor, whether we ran it with Jacoby, you know, stuff moving around, getting me out the pocket, um, and then some of the dropback stuff, I mean, with Phillips. So it's not like we're creating an entire new offense. Um, it's just what fits for him, how we call the game as far as, you know, what he's talking about, you know, how Frank, him and Frank uh, will communicate, um, you know, the three of us have just the flow of the game, you know, first and second down, what are some good concepts to run? Uh, third down, what he likes. And, and that's probably more what he's talking about there. So so it's not necessarily like you guys are putting in a ton of new plays. It's more like a reordering of priorities on, on exactly. how you make the call. Exactly. That's all we're doing, you know, just going up and down of what fits him well um, and, and in order to make our offense success. I mean, you know, not just what fits him well. There are some things that, well, this fits our offense well that we need to improve for him, that he needs to get better, get more reps at as well. So it's a blend of both. And that, you know, not everything is just built around him, but it's built around the, you know, our entire offense. JJ. Hey, Marcus. Um, curious, you know, you spent so much time with Jacob last year, um, kind of, you know, working after practice or whatever. Now that you've seen him on the field, where is he mentally and physically right now? Um, I was very pleased with what I saw over the last few weeks with uh, Jacob, uh, where he's at. Um, you know, physically, you always knew that he can do it, that he had the potential that he was going to improve in those areas because of his arm talent um, of what he can provide out there. Um, but mentally, you could tell that he took that next step, um, that he'd grown in that area, whether it's uh, making checks at the line, recognizing coverages, recognizing pressures. I thought he did a great job with that. You know, just the conversations that um, we were able to have, you know, that we weren't maybe able to have last year because of the quarterback room um, really wasn't for him to speak up as much. Whereas this year he's more involved. Um, you could tell he took very, took um, control of the unit um, when he was out there. And I thought he did a great job while he was here. Uh, you know, with getting those reps, like what, what kind of determination did you see out of him, you know, to finally get that on-field work over the last couple of weeks? Um, well, you could tell he was definitely into it. You know, he was excited about the reps, the opportunities that he was getting. He was uh, he was locked in. You know, any mistakes he was trying to correct. 
um, he, you could tell he just wanted to get better. You know, he was just excited about getting all these reps, having to make all the decisions, um, both, you know, pre-snap, post-snap decisions and, you know, watch the film, go the next day, make those corrections. You could tell he was, he was, he was enjoying that part of it. Jim Ayala. Yeah, just a quick follow-up on that, and I have a separate one. But just with Jacob, how excited are you and how excited is he that the, there's a preseason, we just saw the schedule, and that he'll actually get to play, you know, he'll get to play some live action coming up in, in, a, in a month, a couple of months, I mean. Right. No, I'm sure he's very excited about it to, you know, get some live action. Uh, we're definitely excited. You know, we, we want to go see what he can do now. Um, yes, we are seeing the growth from last year to this year, but we want to, you know, as coaches so that we can, you know, grow that trust with him. You know, we want to see that in live action. So, I'm um, looking forward to, th to those opportunities, you know, and he's still got time to, as far as to prepare and get ready, you know, this offseason training and then as well into training camp. Um, but when he does get those live actions in the preseason games, those are going to be huge reps for him. The other quick question I want to ask was about Eric Fisher. I was wondering, you know, you watch the tape, and one of the things that Frank Reich always said about Anthony Costanzo was that it made a game planner's life so easy because you could pretty much say he can handle things one-on-one -on -one and, and leave, it, leave it be. I was wondering, when you watch Eric Fisher, you know, if, if and when he returns to full health, is that the kind of – left tackle you're getting no doubt exactly I mean that's what you're getting you're getting a veteran that's you know that's done it um and done it well um and so we're we going to be able to trust that where we could just line up and no matter who's lined up over them yes you know uh, you know our philosophy always to try to give them some help whether it's a chip or a thump every now and then just to give them a breather but at the same time we're going to be able to trust both sides you know with Brighton on the other side um which is going to be huge to open up our offense Mike Wells Marcus, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Um, How's it going? I, when you went back and watched Carson's tape from last season and saw the 50, the 50 sacks, um, how much of it was him holding on to the ball too long, the offensive line? And the second part of that question is, when you talk to him, has there been an easy transition in letting him know, hey, it's okay to throw the ball away? You know, you don't have to try to hold the ball and, you know, kind of make Superman plays when you're in the pocket. Uh, we've kind of had those conversations, you know, watching the film, you know, I don't, you know, I wasn't in that, that meeting room. So I don't know exactly what, you know, all the reads were um, in particular of, or if anybody made mistakes throughout the plays, um, you know, so I don't want to speak on too much of what went on there. Um, obviously he didn't have the success that he wanted to have and, you know, her build off that, but um, I'm sure he's past that. And, you know, I, I don't really have any concerns with that. I know the kind of quarterback that we're getting, um, and then your second question. Is it, is it hard? Uh, basically, uh, when Andrew came back in 18, when you guys came on board, you know, that was something that Frank wanted to do. Say, hey, it's okay to, you know, throw yes. the ball away. Is that a hard message to get across to a quarterback who believes and has the confidence that he can extend a play or make plays happen? Well, I mean, there's two sides to that. You don't want to take away that playmaking ability because he makes so many plays um, when he does that. Um, he just has to be smart about it. And, and a lot of it's going to be his instincts and trust in him. Um, so at the same time, we want to show him that it's okay to check the ball down to Naheem Hines, though. It may be a three-yard check down, but he can make it into 20. Um, and just seeing that and trusting that. And, you know, part of that, just showing him the film um, and then getting out there, getting those reps um, and understanding, you know, what, what we're looking for here, where he doesn't always have to make a play. But at the same time, we don't want to hinder that. Um, you know, he just has to has to manage that to, to make the the right decisions. We'll go two more. Ken Sterling. Hey, Marcus. Uh, kind of dovetailing on that, what's the biggest adjustment that you've had to make from one quarterback with a very specific set of skills and a, a style of playing to another quarterback 
it has a completely different skill set and a different understanding of how to play the game. Uh, I mean, we've kind of had to do that. You know, the more drastic one obviously was going from Jacoby to Phillip. Um, you know, with from Andrew and Jacoby, it was kind of, I mean, at least they were here, the, you know, the same time as far as understanding the offense. They did something similar as far as being able to move them um, with the nakeds or some of the zone read stuff where we're able to extend plays with those guys um, to where Phillip, where Phillip was more, just, you know, obviously just a pocket passer, get the ball out quick. He wanted to be right all the time pre-snap. So he's making checks, you know, to the last second of the, of the, of the play clock. Um, whereas here, you know, with Carson, it's almost similar kind of going back to the style of, you know, they're going <clears> to <throat> be able to create plays. Um, so you don't want to hinder him mentally too much, but too much in his mind um, and just give him an opportunity to just go out there and, and play. And then, and then, like I said before, with him, what he brings that mobility where we can open it up and, you know, move the launch point a little bit, just to make it harder on defenses. All right. Last question, George Brummer. Chris, there's been uh some talk at least about the lack of a veteran quarterback uh, as a backup to, to Carson. Can some of that be made up with Coach Reich and you and Scott and experience you have playing the position? Can you give some of that that role for Carson uh, in that way? Oh, you're talking about as far as for Carson. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean, I definitely have a great room um, with, you know, Frank, myself, and, and like you said, um, with Scott, just the experience, you know, that being able to communicate and talk in the meeting rooms um, that's going to be huge for him. And he, what I, what I love about him, he's very vocal in the meeting room. Um, whether it's his likes, his dislikes, um, he's not one to be shy about what he doesn't like, um, which I appreciate from a quarterback because I mean, he's a guy that's out there executing. If he believes in it, he's going to make it work. If he doesn't believe it, it's going to be harder for him to make that work. So, um, I definitely appreciate that about him. Um, but yes, he does have the support of, of, of a coaching staff that, that that's there for him. So that was Marcus Brady and before him, Matt Eberflus, Colts coordinators as the off season training ends for the Colts for this year. And uh, Joe is just uh, just a couple weeks, but, but we'll, I'm sure we'll find some find some things to talk about it in the meantime before oh, yeah. uh, before training camp opens up. Yeah, the NFL does a good job of always being in the news somehow, and so I we'll, appreciate that. That's right, makes my job easier. Very so much appreciate. We'll find that. something to talk about for sure. Maybe I'll come up with another controversial top ten Colts list. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. You can you can leave uh, Adam Vinatieri off it, and then you you become Nostradamus, and he has a terrible year. So. Or you can talk about how much you hate running backs and Marlon Mack is just awful and, and you know, all, all, all this stuff. So that, that's what we come to expect from Joe. Um, anyway, for, for those takes and more and for all Colts news, you can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Also, I encourage you to subscribe to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Get this delivered to your podcast listening device as soon as it drops on Wednesdays and Thursdays, typically throughout the offseason. So we thank you for listening to this Colts Blue Zone podcast. Alongside Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. We'll see you next time.